Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. I know I'm the most pro-union, you know, anyway. Yeah, that, that's the president again. Get that's the whole soundbite because he couldn't get the words out there. I know I'm the most pro-union, you know, anyway. Uh, he, he can't put the words together. It's, it's, I think it's getting worse and worse. I don't know. There's got to be a point in this whole campaign, and I know that I think even uh, Carville or Axelrod, one of those guys, said, look, you know what he should do is just go hide away because he's only hurting himself at this point when it comes to the campaign. Uh, I, I don't know where this is taking. I, I don't even know if the guy's going to make it to the convention, and where does that leave us? I would ask that question. We'll talk about all of this on the Reardon Roundtable tomorrow in the 3 o'clock hour. Jane will be here along with uh, Jeff Rainford, former chief of staff for Mayor Slay. Greg Keller on my side, Republican political consultant. we got Kusumano with sports tomorrow. We're going to talk, you know, last night, Sue, we talked with um, <clears throat> Joanna Stern from the Wall Street Journal about the new VR headset from Apple, the Vision Pro. Uh, our friend Ian Scher from CNET, uh, used to be with CNET, now CBS News is going to join us tomorrow to talk about some tech stuff, and we'll, we'll chat with him about that as well. And then there's a guy, I found this a couple of weeks ago, Bradley Haley is his name. He wrote a piece about how the founding fathers would be ashamed at how few men still hunt. And as someone who hunts, and I did not get into it until my adult years, I was around 30 years old when I started hunting, I would agree with him wholeheartedly. So we'll cover that tomorrow. Um, You want to see, you know, the Olympics are coming up in Paris in France, Sue, and yep. I, I'm super excited because my daughter is into swimming. You know, I told you she was at Mizzou for a swim meet. She's in the Rockwood Swim Club and is doing fantastic. I got her signed up for a camp in um, in June at Mizzou, like an overnight camp. That's awesome. And I'm wondering how I'm going to explain to her that there is a man with a penis that is <sighs> racing against other women in the Olympics because this is a true story that she's lawyered up. And she's trying to get into the Olympics, the women's Olympics team. Carrie Sheffield is with us, senior policy analyst with the Independent Women's Voice. Carrie, I don't even know how, how to address this. It's so ridiculous, right? But here we are. How are you tonight? Hey there. Thanks for having me. And congrats to your daughter. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, she's doing great. Well, and this is one of the reasons people every once in a while ask me why I care about stuff. This is why I care about it, because I have a daughter who's an athlete, and I want her to have you know, a fair shot at all this. And that's becoming question, hasn't it? Exactly. And it should be even if you don't have a daughter or if you just care about human rights, because it's not just about swimming, which I'll get into, but it has to do also with women's prisons, battered women's shelters, women's sorority houses, anything where women's bodily integrity is at stake is under risk by what's happening. And specifically on this case that we're talking about, this involves an individual that goes by Leah Thomas. Um, who had swam for three years by the name Will Thomas and competed against males, um, born as a as a male, um, and then decided for the senior year at Wharton to swim as a female. And now, after graduating at age 24, Thomas has decided to basically try to sue the governing body of the Olympic Committee to force 
bodied males to be able to swim against females at the Olympics. So then the question becomes, because I don't know enough about the particulars of the law, but, you know, you, you legal suits, lawsuits are tricky, right? You wonder how a judge might rule in something like this. Well, yeah, and, and it's um, especially because it's, it's an international body. So basically the governing body, as I understand it, before June 2022, transgender swimmers could previously compete if they reduced their testosterone levels. But then they changed the rule. Um, it's the Court of Arbitration for Sport who is, is the governing body trying to re- reverse the world aquatics ban on anyone who experienced, and the quote is, any part of male puberty from competing against females. Thank goodness. So that is where the, uh, and the, the, the law firm that Thomas has hired uh, has a lot of experience bringing these cases. It's a Canadian firm. I want you to address the science here because this even came up recently in the world of professional golf because you have um, someone out there who's a biological male that's trying to maybe get into the LPGA. And some of the defenders would say, and I think he, I can't remember the name of that golfer, Kira. Do you remember off the top of your head? Um, they were defending her and saying, look, you know, she's been on the um, the hormones and there's been a detransition, whatever they call it. The transition has happened over a period of time. So people will make the case, well, look, and this is what the proponents of all this nonsense say. Leah Thomas is a woman, right? She's a woman because she says she's a woman, because she's gone through these hormone changes. So you're not talking about competing against a man. She's a woman, right? That That's what they say. Well, my colleague at Independent Women's Law Center here at the Independent Women's Forum, she helped to lead a review of the scientific literature looking at this issue. Um, and it's just a scientific fact that if you know there's the XX and the XY chromosome, it's, it's really down to just the levels that cannot be altered. So men have bigger lungs and they have bigger hearts than women. This translates to greater aerobic lung capacity for swimming in other sports. Males also have larger skeletal structures than women, and that includes the wingspan that's critical for swimming. And that's something that testosterone blockers cannot significantly alter because, heck, if they could, if, if you could get more with, with testosterone, short men would be injecting themselves till the cows come home if they could get taller. Yeah. Um, so it's just you can't deny biology. Uh, Carrie, what do you think? This is Sue. Uh, do you think then, I mean, is there hope then? I didn't realize that the Olympics had actually come down and said, <laughs> no, if you went through puberty as a male, you are out. Is there a chance for this actually Getting through, I mean, or, or do we really feel confident that it will be shot down? Well, that's part of why I wrote a piece in the New York Post about it is, you know, these, these bodies, they often do respond to public pressure. And what's interesting in the United States, Gallup has been tracking this. And they found two years ago in the U.S. in 2021, um, 34% said that a male should be able to swim against females or, you know, basically they said that anyone, an athlete should be allowed to play on a sports team matching their quote, gender identity, basically to crossover. 34% said yes in 2021. And now only 26% do in 2023. So there's actually been a drop. More people know about this. Uh, And then the reverse is that in this polling came out in June, 69% of Americans believe that transgender athletes, um, should compete in sports that match their birth sex. Good. 
Well, I, I can't even believe that the numbers uh, – it is such a no-brainer for me, and it's so frustrating. You put in your piece that was in the New York Post some of the figures in here. I don't know if you have any more handy, but look, when she was Will Thomas, right, she swam for the University of Pennsylvania, um, decent swimmer, but not really blowing anyone away in the male division. And you offered an example in November 21, she would have placed 14th if competing amongst men huh. in the 100-yard freestyle, right? Correct. Exactly. And and so that's, that's um, you know, a mediocre male swimmer becomes a record-setting NCAA champion while swimming as a female. You know, that's, that's just, it's fundamentally unfair. And I think that's why so many people are against it. And, and look, nobody's calling to ban gender identity expression. There's definitely, uh, it's a free country. P- people are adults. Uh, but there's just a difference between people being able to express themselves freely or dress how they wish or present how they wish um, and then denying fundamental science and the fundamental bodily integrity right. of women. As I yeah. said, this goes far beyond sports. Carrie Sheffield is a senior policy analyst with the Independent Women's Voice, and you have got to be. We, Sue and I talk about um, mainly Riley, but Riley Gaines and Paul Scanlon, just absolute heroes in all this, aren't they? Absolutely, and they're two of our ambassadors with Independent Women's Forum, so we are— so proud of them. Uh, Riley actually had to compete against Leah Thomas, the swimmer, and Paula Scanlon was on the team with Leah Thomas at Penn, so had to change in the locker room. Um, and so the fact that they're unbothered and unbowed and just standing up for this is, I think, pretty incredible. And I think it's definitely something that uh, young women today should look up to them as, as role models to say, it was so interesting. I, I, on the left, I generally see a generational divide where you have older women supporting women like Riley and Paula and, you know, people like J.K. Rowling and some of the older athletes and tennis players, older women, they're, they're, they're old enough to remember uh, having to fight for Title IX yes. and Title IX um, under Congress ensured that girls could have access to funding for sports. That's why, that's probably why your daughter was able to swim and, and do so well is, is in large part to those women who fought. And so it's really sad to see on the left that a lot of these younger women are pretty clueless about the victories that were fought under Title IX, uh, which was signed into law, by the way, by a Republican, Richard Yeah, Nixon. you know, they need to know history, and I mention this all the time, and it was only probably 10 years ago that I'm sitting around watching a documentary on the Boston Marathon, and I realized that it wasn't until the early 1970s that women were not able to compete in the Boston Marathon. I mean, that's in yes. our lifetimes. That's yes. in my lifetime, in Sue's lifetime. That, I think, would shock a lot of people even today. And, you know, you said, uh, Carrie, I want to put this into perspective. I've mentioned this a couple of times, and I can't even imagine how women would deal with this, but I have a listener that shared some information about going through some um, addiction substance abuse rehab. And as part of this, there's a women's group that's involved. And in the women's group, a couple of weeks ago, two biological males, full facial hair sitting in there. Now, these women are talking about being sexually abused and raped by men. And you have two men with penises in that room. I can't fathom how that's even something that's allowed in this society. But here we are. Well, stay tuned because my colleague, Kelsey Bolar at Independent Women's Forum, she is interviewing women who have been struggling with this in the prison system. Um, it is, in my view, a deep violation of civil rights that this is allowed to happen. Um, and you notice that it doesn't happen the other way where biological women or born women want to transition to the men's prison. It's always one direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
and it really is a you know a sexual violence issue and so she's going to be coming out with that documentary she also has a a documentary that she produced about detransitioners um and women who uh you know were confused a lot of them were young girls um and bought into a lot of the um the lies and and what's really sad is that a lot of people who experienced gender dysphoria um before all of this became this viral craze on TikTok, um, the vast majority of children have gender dysphoria resolved by the time they leave puberty or by the time they reach adulthood, um, something like 80 to 90 percent, that ballpark before any of this happened. And now you just have a lot of really young, confused people who quite often have some other type of mental illness. Quite often they're suffering from things like autism. They often have maybe an eating disorder or depression or PTSD or anxiety. It's, it's a comorbidity, as, co, excuse me, a comorbidity, as they say, um, in addition to what, you know, maybe their therapist convinces them they have gender dysphoria or uh, it's immediately, as they say, affirmed versus let's treat maybe some of these underlying anxiety issues um, before rushing to commit these, you know, life-altering surgeries. Well, and as you know, you know we, we're a bit um, focused on this here in St. Louis because of our whistleblower from that's gone back almost a year right now and the situation with WashU and Children's Hospital, which has gotten a lot of attention throughout the country. Carrie, you're a hero on this as well with Paula and Leah, or not with Leah, with uh, Paula and uh, Riley. And I appreciate all the hard work. I, I'm just hoping some of this stuff finally gets through. And I think it is to a certain extent. But, man, you know this, too. The legacy media doesn't like to touch this very much. The ESPNs of the world, they don't like to touch this very much, do they? No, it's and it's it's also the the medical community as well. But yes, the sports it's it's a very uh, politically correct topic, and which is you know you're going to alienate your fan base the more politically correct you are. You would think so. Yeah, we'll have to see. Would. Carrie, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your week and weekend. We'll talk again. Thank you. Take care. I wanted to um, and you know a couple of things I want to kind of expand on there because. I'm coming up here on probably three years on 97.1 FM Talk in April, and I remember right at the beginning, so this goes back three years, there was somebody that, and I, I never mentioned this person's name, but it was a colleague, former colleague, who was listening, and we were talking about some of these trans issues. Look, I've talked about this now for six years probably, mm-hmm. if not more. And they were so frustrated with a situation, I think it was a 13- or 14-year-old daughter, that had decided that she was non-binary, trans, whatever, cut her hair, started doing other stuff. Now, some of this also involved cutting. You know how kids sometimes do that with their wrists. So there's mental illness involved. So I I remember I was just looking for the message exchange on Instagram because he was shooting me messages and I tried to reference it. I couldn't find it. But I remember we were going back and forth and I wanted updates. And then there was finally this moment about a year later. So two years ago where, yep, she's embarrassed. She um, can't believe that's what happened. She wants to be a girl again. They were supportive. Now the families are in tough situations. You don't want to alienate your kids. The kid comes home, says they're whatever, and you still want to love your children. But it is beyond psycho crazy now where this has taken us. Now let me play some audio examples of this because I found this today and Abby actually found something to supplement it. This is a woman that's on TikTok who is a mother, I guess, of a trans person or someone who thinks they're trans supporting all this stuff. And the follow-up to this when I play this gender specialist is interesting as well, but here's the first part of it. I'm a doctor and apparently the state of Texas needs to reconsider what it considers child abuse. Because you know it's abusive 
ignoring the needs of your child when your child is telling you what they need. All right, so this is even worse. This is a doctor. So she's making the case that if your child, let let me tell you something. Two nights ago, I I was ready to kick my child out of the home because she was throwing such a fit and was being unbelievably, you know, crazy. So, you know, then you got to be a parent, right? So if you give in to all the things that your kids want, they wouldn't be in school. Alexa wakes up. I don't want to go to school today. Well, you know what? You don't have to go to school today, right. right? Why should you have to go to school? So this person... And engaging in behavior as a parent that could lead them to unalive themselves. Over 80%... Unalive Okay, let me stop there because that, that becomes a trend here. Now, I asked Abby about this because I thought that was ridiculous. Apparently, what Abby told me is if you use the word suicide or kill yourself, that that gets flagged on TikTok and on Instagram. Oh. So that might be why she's saying unalive. And of trans youth have admitted to having thoughts about unaliving themselves and over 50% have actually attempted it. Stop it. And these individuals denying them care that we know care. is life-saving care. is child abuse. Now, let me address that. There have been studies even recently on this and the suicide rate is extremely high amongst trans people not kids transitioning. The suicide rate is not high. This is a bunch of crap that they try to spread. It's not 13, 14-year-old kids. Now, are some having difficulty because they have mental illness? Are they trying to... Sure. I mean, I'm not going to say it doesn't exist, but the research shows that the people who are trying to kill themselves are everyone that had their breasts cut off and their penises cut off and the people that are still mentally ill because it was a mental illness to begin with. So this doctor is full of absolute you-know-what. And it is proven that providing them gender-affirming care strongly reduces those risks. Don't worry, I got plenty of receipts for these comments. You can check my link tree. Well, you know what? Your link tree is wrong because we know what happened here in St. Louis. So this is a gender specialist doctor. Okay, this is another one here. Dr. Olson talking to an 11-year-old kid. Listen to this conversation. Dr. Olson had a decision. You are in the perfect place to start on blockers. And she promises to begin giving her estrogen, female hormones, in two years. Around 13. That's what I think. Yes, you're not going to develop breast buds on the blockers, but um, you're not going to wait until 16 to start. Yeah, so she, she's talking to an 11-year-old kid, and she's going to hop him up at the age of 13. You know that, okay? Josie received the blockers as an implant in her arm. It's okay if you cry. So with all the bravery she could muster, Josie held on tight as another chapter opened in this young girl's life. Uh, that So sh- they put these puberty blockers apparently in your arm, and it's very painful. And this is just simply played off as another chapter in this kid's oh effed up life because of her parents. <laughs> A lot of times it strikes me that had this happened just 20 years ago, thank you, I wouldn't have been able to give her blockers, and she would have had to go through male puberty. That terrifies me. It's all done. Do you want a hug? I don't know that she would have survived male puberty. Oh, my God. This is what we're dealing with. And these parents are, look, let's be honest here. The parents are crazier than the kids. The kids are sucked into this because they're confused. They're influenced by TikTok. And then you got the nutty parents out there that buy into it and try to take them to a doctor to change their lives permanently. You know what's dangerous? It's not going through male puberty. It's having puberty blockers and hormones shot into your body when you're not even a teenager. Well, 
if you heard the, uh, when I was doing the Jerry Kelly read there, you might have heard some audio in the background. I was finding this, um, I haven't listened to the whole thing, but there's a, a tweet that went out from somebody with Russell Brand in Tucker Carlson, which seemed interesting to me. And we're going to pull the audio to that, so I apologize. Sometimes my iPad just starts talking in the middle of the show, and I can't do anything about it. Uh, we have a Reardon Roundtable tomorrow, of course, at 3 o'clock. Jane Duker will be here on the panel. Also, former Chief of Staff for Mayor Slade, Jeff Rainford on Jane's side, Greg Keller on my side. Here is a Roundtable veteran with us this evening, Jeff Smith, former state senator, back with us. How are you, Mr. Smith? I'm well. How are you, Mark? You sound like you're in the bathroom right now. I just want to know. You're all hollow and stuff. Is that... Do we have to listen to I, that? I am in the bathroom. I'm not actually on the toilet, and I'm not in the shower, but uh, I'm, about, I'm shaving. Is well, that acceptable, or is that a problem for your audience? You know, I'm just going to roll with it here. If you're shaving and you want to talk to us at the same time, I think the visual is, is okay. I'm, I'm down with that. But look, I wanted to get your take, because you obviously have a different perspective on what's going on in the legislature as a Democrat, although you do work with some Republican clients as well. On the And I talked to Mary Elizabeth Coleman about this uh, either yesterday or the day before. We had um, Cindy Laughlin on, who is in Senate leadership. You got the dust up in the Senate. A lot of this is on prior I want your opinion overall about that. I also want you to kind of explain from your perspective IP reform. But let's just start with the chaos in, in everything that's going on. Give me the Jeff Smith hot take on all this stuff that's happening right now with Bill Eigel and, and all the rest of the gang over there in the Senate. Yeah. Um, first, to clarify, I work with common sense clients. That's the kind of through line that, that binds them all together. But, um, yeah, I mean, right now the Senate is tied up in knots in a historical fashion, in an unprecedented fashion. The vitriolic personal attacks are beyond anything I've seen since I've been watching the Senate for 20 years or so. Um, And it really, right now, is rooted in IP changes that the Freedom Caucus are seeking. When I say IP, I mean initiative petition. That's been a mechanism for people on all sides of the aisle to get on the ballot to get an idea on the ballot when the legislature is not doing what the people want. And it's something that's been used in a bipartisan fashion for like 50 years now in Missouri. Conservatives used it with the Hancock Amendment. You know what I'm referring to, right? Of course. That's an, look, I've covered this for a long time. That was back in the 1980s, Mel Hancock. Yeah, absolutely. And that was something that you guys love, right? Because it limited the amount of revenue that could come into state government and forced the state government to cut taxes or reduce revenue coming in when it hit a certain point. Right, but I can, I can make the case that I love that, and I didn't even have a problem with that being a constitutional amendment because of the subject matter. But I have long been, and by the way, this goes back to the 1980s, I have long been a critic of this initiative petition system because I think it is abused. Well, I mean... Some might say, uh, some, some might have that view, but it's very rare that anything passes. There's about nine things that fail for every one thing that passes if you look back over the last few decades. So, so it's, it's, a, it's a misperception when people say anybody can get on the ballot and then just go and change our Constitution. That's just not accurate because most things that try don't even get the signatures to get on the ballot, let alone pass it. So it's been used by the right uh, for, for some things. It's been used by people on the left. Um, and, and I wouldn't say the left, but kind of the left and the middle on things like Medicaid expansion uh, or the minimum wage. And it's been used by groups that aren't really ideological, 
like the move to decriminalize marijuana, which has attracted libertarians on the right and people on the left. And so, you, you know, you and I spoke about this the other day. One thing we should make it clear, just so the audience is kind of caught up here: the, there's a supermajority of Republicans in the legislature, so they can pretty much do what they want if they all got along, but they don't all get along. The Democrats really have significant issues in trying to get any policy or anything across the table because the Republicans control everything. So this is an option for them. They see this as an option to do something and to get the laws changed or to get something enshrined as this case may be in the Constitution. So let's get to the crux of the matter, because the crux of the matter, and Jeff, you and I agreed, I said something the other day, I said, if you were to go out and poll people in Missouri and say, hey, what are your priorities for the Missouri legislature? There might be three or four people in the whole state, like regular people that would say, Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. I'm all for IP reform, and maybe half of them would think that's Internet protocol and not initiative petition. So this is more of an inside (laughs) baseball thing, but the abortion issue is what it's all about, isn't it? Well, it's become about that because uh, a couple weeks ago, the groups that support reproductive freedom announced that they want to try to do what's been done in several other red states, states like Kansas and Kentucky, uh, and say, hey, we want to enshrine We want to codify the right to reproductive freedom, at least up until viability, right? So that's like, you know, the first 20 weeks or so of pregnancy, we want people to have that, uh, you know, unfettered right. And that would be a huge, that would be a big change in Missouri, because as you know, in 2019, uh, after House Bill 126 was passed, um, that banned the right to an abortion for almost any reason in Missouri, to the point that uh, there were no abortions that, that people uh, know of that actually took place in Missouri in 2023. So that is kind of the status quo. And then when the Reproductive uh, Rights Coalition said, we want to put a, a constitutional amendment on the ballot, that really motivated the Freedom Caucus members to say, we don't, you know, we like the status quo. We don't want any access to abortion in the state of Missouri. So we're going to stop all activity in the Missouri Senate until the Senate leadership short circuits the typical process and puts onto the Senate floor a Senate joint resolution to change the initiative petition reform process to make it much harder for citizens to get on the ballot. And that's where we are right now in the Senate is the Freedom Caucus members saying, we're not going to let any business transpire in the Senate, even things as simple as approving Republican appointees appointed by our Republican governor. We're not going to do that right now until we make it harder for citizens to do these initiative petitions because we hate the, the, the prospect of this reproductive okay, freedom. But, but is it, okay, Jeff, but is it making it more difficult to get things on the ballot or is it making things more difficult to pass? Because that's where I'm a little confused. Right now, you just need a simple majority to pass one of these if you get on the ballot. One of the proposals is to make uh, it pass only if it passes in five of eight congressional districts. But you're saying it's also there's part of this is going to make it harder for, for people to get on the ballot? So there's 
there's over a dozen different proposals and they do different things. Some of the proposals make it harder to get on the ballot by saying you have to have more signatures. Right now you have to have, I think, something like 175,000 signatures um, in a certain number of congressional districts. And so there's some proposals saying you got to get more signatures. Others saying you can't have anyone from out of state uh, asking for signatures. Collect signatures, Others, right, yeah. Yeah, others saying you can't pay anyone by the signature. Others, you know, so others saying you have to have signatures in more congressional districts. So there's some that are out there saying make it harder to get on the ballot. And there's others out there saying instead of 50% plus one, you have to get 60% to pass. And then there's others saying instead of just getting a majority, you've got to get a majority in every, in, in a majority of congressional districts and some that say you've got to get a majority in a majority of this 163 state house districts. So it's all, there's, like I said, dozens of different proposals out there, but the common denominator for all of them is it'll make it harder for the citizens to be able to go around the legislature and do something that the, le- that the legislature isn't okay. doing. So let, let's say something passes, and this is another thing that's a timetable issue that I don't completely understand. The conventional wisdom, I think, is that if a ballot issue like this gets on, even in Missouri, that's a red state, it is likely going to pass because we've seen it happen in Kansas and uh, Oklahoma. So is there potentially, because all this stuff is happening now, you're saying that something can get to the governor and this whole process can potentially change by the time in the fall or the summer that people vote on the abortion issue. The other thing here is that, um, well, I I guess I'll just stop at that question because you were telling me that there's a possibility that the governor could call a special election over some of this stuff because it also has to be approved by people if you have this initiative petition reform, right? It's possible. Okay, there's there's different options out there. So So the governor has, it's very confusing. Um, The governor has a lot of flexibility on these things. The governor can determine which which ballot, which election, one of these, uh, if one of these things goes on. Once it, if the signatures happen, and and look, this is not going to be easy for the people supporting, you know, reproductive freedom up until viability. This is not going to be easy at all for them because do you remember the guy who's got to approve the signatures? Do you know who that is? Jay Ashcroft. Exactly. So he didn't make it easy for them to even get language settled. He didn't make it easy for them to even get the fiscal note approved, and he certainly isn't going to make it easy on them to get the signatures approved that they need. So that is probably another looming court battle. So if that does happen, if a court does say that they get the signatures after, I think, the likelihood that he challenges them in some way, then the governor has to say, well, when when is this going to go on the ballot? It's probably better for Republicans to turn out as lower and it's also probably so that's probably better to do it in the, in August right. than November. It's also probably an advantage to do it in August because because it's basically a red state now, Missouri. There's more Republican primaries than there are Democratic primaries that are hotly contested. Look at look down the ballot. There's a big Republican primary for governor. There's a big Republican primary for attorney general, well, secretary of state, now. lieutenant yeah. governor, all congressional seats. So you got tons of Republican primaries. In, in the state Senate as well, there are a few Democratic primaries, but not nearly as many, and there won't be nearly as much money behind them. So that means that the Republican turnout is probably going to be disproportionately higher in August, and that's why I suspect they'll try to put this on the August ballot. But 
that would mean that they may need to do a special election, say in June. Uh, and so there's some scuttlebutt about that might happen so that the governor, if they do pass IP reform in the legislature, for the governor to call some sort of special election in June to put that on the ballot so that it would be in effect in time for the August election to make the threshold higher for the reproductive freedom IP to pass. I know this is complicated. Yeah, but I want to focus in on that. So you're saying that if the legislature, let's say, and I had Mary Elizabeth Coleman on, she's kind of shepherding this legislation. Let's say they agree on something. They get it to the governor. The governor signs it. You're telling me if the governor signs that, that still has to go. That's a ballot issue. That's a ballot issue. No, the governor doesn't actually need to sign a Senate a referendum because it is okay, a so, yeah right because it goes to the ballot so the governor you. doesn't need to sign that but the governor will determine the, the governor's election only in yeah the, that's the governor's only involvement i got here. you i got you yeah because i didn't re- until we spoke the other day i didn't realize and again i don't even know if anybody understands what the hell we're talking about right now but i didn't realize that if this does in fact pass which by the way would kind of lend to the uh to the folks that want to get this done sooner rather than later but i didn't realize we had to vote before we had to vote <laughs> You know, we had to vote on the IP reform yeah. before we had to vote on everything else. And how are you going to, you know, is, as confusing as it is, how the hell do you get people educated on IP reform? Their eyes roll over. Well, also, I, I should remind you that there's going to be a heck of a lot of money behind an anti-IP reform, you know, movement, right? And so, and the messaging, I think, is much easier from the left side of, the, of this equation than from the right side of the equation. Think through it. Um, from the people who want to do IP reform, you know, th- that, and that's why they're putting so-called ballot candy inside the language. They're saying things like, okay, uh, no foreign citizens can vote in Missouri elections. Let's make that the top line of the IP where they're making it harder to, to win. They're saying no foreign money can be in Missouri elections. Pop, things that will things that seem popular, but it's all BS because those are already part of Missouri's constitution, or those are already part of federal law. You can't use foreign money in an, in an American election. Wait, you're and saying so, that a politician might mislead people? That that is very difficult <laughs> for me to believe. I don't know if I buy that at all. Look, I, I don't know. Again, I don't know, Jeff. We solved anything here because even for someone like me who tries to stay on top of this stuff, I've had conversations with you off the record, and now on the record with Mary Elizabeth. Same thing. It's I don't know how. I Everyone keeps it straight. I really don't. And then the losers are the voters because they won't know what the hell is going on. Well, yes, but the, as I was saying, I think the, the left has a much easier political message because it fits on a bumper sticker to say, don't let Jefferson City take away your voice is an easier message than one of these things needs to get a majority in every congressional district. In yeah. The, yeah. Well, so so then that kind of doesn't that final thing here, doesn't that kind of beg the question for all the people that are trying to get this going? Do they recognize that getting it passed in and of itself at the ballot is going to be difficult? Because that seems difficult to me. To your point, I mean, I'm kind of agreeing with you here. Yeah, because in other states, you know, they tried something like this in Ohio. I believe they tried something like this in Arkansas, and they were rejected by the voters because the voters like to have a voice to circumvent the legislature when the legislature isn't doing what they want. So it's a tough argument to make to get these things passed. I think somebody like Caleb Browden grasped that when you heard him say months ago, 
I'm not sure how much appetite there is for something like this, which is probably a political loser. But then the Freedom Caucus has kind of made it their litmus test and is demanding that everybody kind of go along with them. And so you see more Republicans kind of go along with them and say, "Okay, we'll do it. But I think if you talk to Republicans behind closed doors, as I do for, for my job, a lot of them are resigned to the fact that we're spending all this effort. We're getting everybody pissed off at each other in the, you know, in the Senate. And this is probably going to lose anyway. Well, it's interesting. I think that did help toward the end here. I think we got to maybe the crux of the issue there, Jeff Smith. Thank you. And I'm so glad that your shaving went well. It sounds like you wrapped that up, too. I'm ready to go to my event tonight. Thanks, Mark. All right. We'll see you. Take care. Well, we are set to get out of here and head over to the uh, the big Fred Bottomer Hall of Fame induction Yay. ceremony for the St. Louis Media Hall of Fame. We had actually we had Kenny Wallace on the show earlier today. How about old Fred Bottenheimer over there, ladies and gentlemen? He gave Fred more uh, more fame here in yeah, St. Louis. Yeah, he really Louis, did. I think Kenny shot him a note. But we're uh, Sue and Abby and I are all going over there tonight for the induction. Of course, there, I, I recognize a couple of names. It's got Joe, Joe. It starts with a B. I can't remember. Oh, I saw that on the list. Um, but but. Buck. Buck. That's Is it. Is he the guy that calls football games sometimes? He might be. And I think his dad did something here in St. Louis. Fred is so insistent. <laughs> he wants to make sure that he like he doesn't want to go after Joe. Would you want to go after Joe? No, of but course you know, not. I, I think Joe's going to be fine with, with the whole— Joe's probably humble just as much as Fred. You'd be surprised. Yeah, oh, I'm Joe's, sure that's true, but— you know, you still don't want to go after the, after no. the big well, star. Well, we were trying to see, like, even if it's um, alf- alphabetical, then Joe would go— after him, right? Yeah, so he, Fred's looking good. Okay, I mean, we well, got a we'll good see. shot at Fred. Going we don't first. know that they go alphabetical. Plus, if I'm putting this thing on, I'm putting Joe Buck further down the program to so keep people, people will there. be there. Right. Yeah. Are you telling me, Sue, that there might be a scenario where the 97 1 table after the induction of Fred might get up and not watch Joe's induction later in the evening, especially because some of us have to get up early in the morning. I don't know who that might be. I I can't think of anyone who would do such a thing. But (laughs) yes, perhaps. Although, yay Joe Buck. Love him. Uh, I do too. I like Joe. You know, I don't know if I'll have a chance to talk to him tonight, but it's funny. I was thinking about the last time. I don't know him very well. The last time I saw him was when he he had his book out. And this would have been... I think four or five years ago, but what's funny about that, I don't remember if it was the next day or the day after, but it was that time on a Friday night when we had that ice storm that came out of nowhere. Remember that? Oh, sure. And we weren't prepared. So I had a car at the time, and I had a Jeep Wrangler that was four-wheel drive, but I brought my front-wheel drive, or I'm sorry, Uh my rear-wheel drive vehicle to work that day. And then, you know, things went crazy. So I bring it up because I I got, I was living off of... um, you mentioned Romaine Creek sometimes, down in that area yeah. of Jeffco Fenton. Mm-hmm. So I would take 55, which is the way mm-hmm. that you go home. And I, it was very difficult that night to get on. Like, I'm skating down Tucker and all that, just holding on to the stream. Once I got to the highway, I was okay. Things were better. I went slow. So I go down. I get off at 141. I get off at 141 and 55, and it's just the skatering. I pull over into the first. I can't remember what that first street is there. You mention it on traffic a lot. And I pulled into the gas station. I'm only maybe three miles from my home, but I know that I'm going to be in a ditch. Well, I had Joe's book with me. And oh, sat, that's great. Sue, I, I sat there for, th- I think it took me five hours before I got home. I mean, it was 11 o'clock when I finally decided, but I, I had a good time with Joe Buck's book that night because... I can't. This is what makes you read. Yeah. Well, being stuck for five hours in a car. Exactly. I was forced into it, Sue. That might happen again. Playback ready. Now, the audio cut of the day.
Well, I got a couple of different things that, that I can do here. Um, I, I'm, you know what? This is John. We like John Kennedy. I'll do John Kennedy because he was uh, Bachi Angar Sargon re- revealed this a couple of days ago. These United Nation relief fund workers who are affiliated with Hamas. If you took Hamas and turned them upside down and shook them, the United Nations Relief Agency would fall out of Hamas's pocket. It's stunning. Wow. And it's true. And it's finally getting exposed. And then. You know that the president's finally going to East Palestine, Ohio, after a year? Why, um, why did the administration decide that um, things have, I guess, coalesced and it's now the time for uh, President Biden to go? So uh, the mayor and uh, community leaders invited the president uh, to meet with uh, East Palestine uh, residents and also assess uh, the recovery uh, progress that's been going on. A year later, and somebody finally you know, asked her at one point, hey, is he going to drink the water there? I don't think KJP appreciated that. I thought it was a very good question. What, what would be the point of going there now? He's ignored that poor community for this long. I don't think politically this is going to be a good moment for the president, but he's kind of used to that. Listen to the, uh, this is from the prayer breakfast, I think, this morning, or through one of the other speeches where he just couldn't get the words out here. I know I'm the most pro-union, you know, anyway. Yeah, that's standard. Sue, I'll see you at the Hall of Fame you ceremony. You got it. Got a roundtable tomorrow at 3. But now I'm so sick of telling lies. Get more at 971talk.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.